Good morning. It's great to see you all. You know, I'm always honored when the, the team takes a chance and puts me up on the mound. Um, I want to just take a moment to thank you on behalf of my wife and I uh, for praying for our whole group that was over almost in Israel. And uh, it was great to get home and discover all these pe- messages and people praying for us. And, uh, you know, God answered your prayers. So we, we had three wonderful days in Lebanon. Uh, amazing time uh, meeting the head of intelligence in Lebanon. No, I, no idea what was about to happen in uh, the head of military police in Lebanon and the head of... Christian businessmen uh, there in Lebanon to explore what God could do, uh, and then uh, to see Tyre and Sidon area that is really owned by Hezbollah. So we were like Mr. Magoo, walking through, not knowing <laughs> what was about to happen, and, and then to land in Amman, Jordan, and find out the skirmish has happened. Uh, but thinking, well, this is probably just a little thing down in Gaza, like usually is going on and uh, thinking, I told our group, well, 90% chance we're still going in. We go over to uh, the River Jordan, you know, we're 30 feet uh, from Israel with a tiny little river between us, uh, looking at where Jesus would be baptized by John the Baptist and then go up to Mount Nebo to see what Moses saw looking over into the promised land not knowing that we would be like Moses, <laughs> looking over and not going in. Um, I told our group, well, I still think it's like 70% chance we're going in. Um, meanwhile, I'm, I'm telling a few people on our tour, start Googling, uh, you know, and start asking your friends back here, because you guys had more information than we did. What's really going on and blah, 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 blah. So we go down to Petra, everybody has the Indiana Jones experience, you know, of seeing the, 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 the treasury that you welcome, there's a oh, and, it, and um, we come out of Petra and I said, uh, still 60% chance we're going in. Uh, and, and we go down to Aqaba, which is the Red Sea. And uh, so didn't, don't feel sorry for us. It was like La Quinta on the ocean. So it's beautiful, deserty. Um, we can see Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan, and Israel. Israel's just two miles away. And there we are. And I say to Dan Anderson, who is um, organizing our tour, said, I said, see if you can buy us another night here. Not because it's nice, but time is our friend. In 24 hours, we'll know. And... And the beauty of it, it was allowing everybody who was going to be uber disappointed that we didn't go in to be really excited that we didn't go in. And uh, then we had to figure out how to get everybody home because the airlines were jammed or canceled and putting on pe- people on different planes to Qatar, to Dubai, to Istanbul, just got to get them out and then find find their way home and uh, so here we are yeah uh, it's good to be back 
But we hope to, that everything settles down and that we can take the group and anybody else back to Israel to see what they didn't get to see. Um, but I, on that note, I'd like to take a moment just to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. It's a uh, very common thing in Jewish circles to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. And uh, if we could do that together. Lord, we pray this day for the peace of Jerusalem. We pray, God, that, uh, that you would end terrorism anywhere in the world. God, butchery um, is just never acceptable. God, we pray that you comfort the families that have lost loved ones, that you would uh, comfort the families who have loved ones from 160 nations that have been taken into captivity. Uh, we ask God that you would spare lives. We ask God that you would end the ongoing animosity and uh, that you would come up with a solution that would be a new day for that part of the world. Pray that the escalation that seems to be happening would not have to happen. And now, Father, we pray that you would speak to us through your word and make us vulnerable to what you have to say to us in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. So I am the richest man on the planet today because uh, here I am preaching and my grandson was on the stage helping lead worship. <laughs> so I'm, are you richer than me? I'm just saying. We were driving by a construction site the other day and there was a little two-year-old on a dad's shoulders and they're watching a bulldozer and I nudged Dan and I said, look at He's the richest man right now. Look at that. So today we are studying in Jonah chapter 3. And as Chuck Butler, by the way, happy birthday, Chuck. Um, we're studying about repentance. There's three things I want to draw your attention to. And I'm, I'm thrilled to be able to preach this because your pastor, Pastor Ryan, is passionate about revival. He's passionate about renewal and, and this is how it all happens. It starts with repentance. So we're going to look at uh, your repentance, individual repentance. We're going to look at our repentance, corporate repentance. And then we're going to consider what the title of this sermon is. Who knows? I love those words. They're Hebrew words. Who knows? We're in this dilemma. We're in this hardship. I thought I was going to get a job and I didn't and we're out of money. Who knows? Let's pray. I thought I was going to get married, but we didn't. Who knows? I thought we were going to have children, but we didn't. Who knows? I thought that there's all kinds of situations we face in life. But God is waiting for us to take that step to not just bail, but to say, who knows? To take that step of faith. So let's begin looking at verse 6 together, where the king repents. It says, when Jonah's words reached the king of Nineveh, he rose up.
from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat down in the dust. It's a bit of irony here because the king rises up, and that part we're familiar with. We're, we're familiar with rich CEOs rising up and being important. We're used to politicians rising up and being important. But we're not used to great leaders humbling themselves. So this king holistically repents. He rises up, but the reason he's rising up is he's walking away from the throne. The very thing that says, I'm in charge. This is the king of one of the largest nations, most powerful nations on earth at this time, Nineveh. This is the country that is going to decimate the northern kingdom of Israel, Assyria. This is Nineveh, modern-day Mosul in Iraq. This powerful, powerful man rises up, and here's the irony, and he steps down. Wow. Wow. He secondly takes off the robe that says, I'm special. The robe that says, I'm royalty. Unlike you, you don't wear a robe. You don't wear, I wear the robe. And he takes it off. And then he puts on sackcloth. Sackcloth, we're not familiar with that. It's a gunny sack. Do you, do you remember gunny sack races? Burlap. Burlap, Burlap. yeah, thank you. This is an audience participation moment. <laughs> I, I need your help all the way through this. So please, thank you. Burlap. This rough uh, material that I only use to go fishing with. You know, put a fish in it when you catch the fish. It's, it's burlap. <laughs> so I don't even know what that looks like. Do you cut holes at the bottom? And for your hands and your arms, and then you climb inside of this thing. But you're wearing it to irritate you, to remind you that you're in an irritable situation and you don't want to forget. You want everything to be reminding you that God's got to do something. And then finally, he sits in the dust, the dirt. Like everybody else that is homeless, like anybody else is without a job, the people that are on the lowest, the lowest, the lowest, he, the king, makes himself the lowest. It's amazing. He does it holistically. And I also love the fact that he doesn't use the typical defense mechanism. It's a great book, if you haven't read it, by C.S. Lewis called The Great Divorce. It's really playful. It's just uh, uh, like 120 pages, my style. And, um, and it's kind of a comedy where a bus goes from hell to heaven every day. And the people have a chance to go sightseeing in heaven from hell. What a clever idea. And the, the book is about all, all the complaints of why people don't like heaven. And, and what's wrong with God and what's wrong with heaven. And how they can hardly wait to get back in the bus to go back to hell. And his point is that people choose the not God place. It's not like, how could a, a God of love not let all of us go? No, it's actually we choose to not now to not be around God 
And we ultimately would choose to be in the not God place. But he gives to us in the book all the different excuses of why people don't want to be around God. I can't believe in a God who would allow this or this or this. Who do you think you are, Jonah, to step into our world and, and to start speaking this way? Are you expecting these kind of defenses that we hear all the time from people? The king has none of them. The king believes Jonah and he humbles himself and he repents. Now, I've thought about this a lot. Actually, your pastor, Ryan, has written a wonderful book on revival. What are the, the ingredients that make this repentance happen? Because I, I share the love of Jesus as often as I can, but sometimes it connects. And I've often wondered, what, what is that magic that that person responds and that person doesn't? Have you ever wondered about that? You know, Jesus talks about this with the four soils. Uh, you know, some seed falls on hardened ground. Some people, seed falls on soil with weeds. And, and he gets to the fourth soil. That this is what makes it happen. And I think there's three ingredients. One is the word of God. They hear something about the love of Jesus. And it's not that you and I have to become preachers. I don't know about you, but I'm not, I'm not a fan of preachers that preach. You know, like yada, 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 make me feel bad. And like they're the, the parent and I'm the child. I, I hope I'm not doing that to you. I like more of an adult to adult uh, conversation. And so it's sharing what God has done in your life. That's the word of God. My, the way I do it is, I, I, you've heard me many, many times. I, well, I was an idiot and then I met Jesus and, and now I'm still an idiot, but not so badly. And you, you just tell them in a very winsome way, this is what God is doing in my life. I'm growing, I'm learning. It makes people curious. The word of God, that's one ingredient. The second ingredient is the spirit of God. The spirit is working. Remember, Jesus couldn't do many things in Nazareth uh, because of, of, of the people there. The spirit was kind of quenched when he, here's the son of God, couldn't do much in Nazareth. So the spirit of God has to be present. But the third is the soil of a person's heart. So when the word of God hits you, it's like, oh my, it's the king right here. Oh my gosh, I need to repent. Jesus tells us that that's the flavor of the culture of his people, the church. In the Beatitudes, blessed. Who's blessed? Who's happy? Are the poor in spirit. Blessed. Who's happy? Are the meek. Not the proud. Not the people that have it all together. It's the people that humble themselves. My son wrote a song years ago. By the way, there's five tickets left for, to see them play with the Jonah brothers tonight up in Anaheim. And uh, I'm just joking with you. That, I, I think they're probably gone by now. But, uh, but 25 years ago, John wrote a song called Soren's Song about Soren Kierkegaard and his idea of 
what causes a person to existentially change when they're all alone with God and all alone with their failure and all alone, what, what causes that? And so he talks about this, uh, this idea of shrinking, of you and I humbling ourselves. And he says, sooner or later, you're going to find out there's a hole in the wall. Sooner or later, you're going to find out there's a hole. He's describing your life, that we think our life is just amazing. Look at me. But he says, you know, you're trapped in a little cell that's telling you that this is life when you don't even know the big wonder of what it is to follow God. But there's a hole, like a mouse hole in your wall that you could get out and discover what it really is to live but you can't get out because you won't humble yourself. Beautiful imagery. And so it comes to the chorus and it says, dreams of shrinking, dreams of shrinking. And you know, most of us are not philosophers enough to even understand what he's talking about, but he's talking about you and me. Can you imagine, can you dream of you and I humbling ourselves? And if we if we just said, okay, God, like the king, okay, you have me. Here's my throne. Here's my robe. Here's my, all my importance, and let's do it your way. Here's the irony. There is a king who did that for you. Jesus, although he existed in the... In, Equal to God, he humbled himself, the Bible says, becoming a man and being found in the likeness of a man, Philippians chapter 2, he humbled himself to die for you and me. He humbled himself again to die on a cross for you and me so that you and I could know life, eternal life. So it is the kingdom. It's the way it happens, repentance. And so we got to see it in Israel, at least the river, <laughs> where, where it all happened, where Jesus humbled himself and went and got baptized by John the Baptist. So the second thing is this corporate repentance. Look with me at verse 7. This is a proclamation he issued to all of Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, do not let people or animals or herds or flocks taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink, but let people and animals be covered with sackcloth. I don't know what a pig in sackcloth looks like. Um, it sounds like a cartoon. Let everyone call urgently on God let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Now, obviously, this is not sustain, sustainable, right? No eat, no drink. Like, what are we good for? Three days? So he's saying, this is how desperado we are for God to move. This is full on. This is backcourt press. We, this is high alert. We have to corporately seek God together. What impresses is impresses me is that he uses his sphere of influence to move all of us closer to God. Now, this is hard for America. 
as Americans, if you were born here, you don't see it because you're part, you're just the frog in the beaker over the Bunsen burner, but you don't see it. But people from other countries see that we are intensely individualistic. Fiercely, and you're not going to tell me nothing of what I'm going to... If you're going to tell me I need to go south, I'm going north, baby. <laughs> we're that way in politics. We're that way about everything. Uh, and it's just us. I'm sorry. And I'm probably worse than you. So can you imagine calling Americans to repent? We'd immediately start arguing about how. Well, I think we need to get on our knees. No, I am not getting on my knees. I think, and, and before you know, we'd just be off to the races arguing with each other. We'd take a vote. <laughs> but can you imagine? Let's just think of what if this church decided we need to repent. Let's just take a week to stop complaining about what's wrong with our culture. Let's take a week to stop arguing about what should happen over this and that. And if we just got off our throne and got on our knees and said, oh God, be merciful. I think a lot about the repentance of America. Now I know it's, it's the greatest country on the planet. Please don't throw any tomatoes at me. And, and I don't think there's, there's an, another form of government other than Jesus coming again that's better. But nevertheless, we export a lot of bad things to the rest of the world. We export a lot of bad philosophy, a lot of bad worldviews, a lot of bad temptations, a lot of bad, and we make money and we export this. I'm not saying we're the harlot, but at some point we have to say, it's not them, it's us. And it's not that party, it's me. And I don't know if I'll see it in my lifetime. I don't know. I got a glimpse of it after 9-11. 9-11, three days later. 12th, 13th, 14th. George W. Bush, out of the influence of actually Christian, calls for a national day of prayer. And before my very eyes, I'm watching on TV, in a church, President George W. Bush, President Clinton, President Ford, and President... Carter, thank you. Together with the cabinet, together with congressmen, together with di diplomats, all come together for prayer. And I'm seeing Billy Graham in the pulpit saying, we need to pray. And then we somehow got better like the kid that was falling off the roof, cried out to God, save me! And his pants got caught on a nail. He said, never mind God, my pants got caught on a nail. 
And I think America said, never mind. We figured it out. So at some point, we're going to have to say, you know what? It's not my mother, not my brother, but it's me, oh Lord, standing in the need of prayer. To get off our, off our throne and to corporately seek God and pray. And they somehow believed the word of Jonah. Now, I've heard some preachers say the reason they believed Jonah is because Jonah was a walking freak that was half digested by a whale. <laughs> and, and he looked so weird. And, and I, I think that's a humorous thing, but I don't think that's why they repented. It was this magic from heaven, that spirit of God. They, they actually believed the power of the word of God, right? The other thing I want you to see is that in their repentance, they weren't instantly perfect. They just started the journey saying, okay, we're going to repent. There's this God that's angry with our evil deeds. Notice it says, uh, give up your evil ways and your violence. So they started the journey, but we don't know that they're perfect. I want you to see this, this image on the screen if you don't like it, just blame it on me. I think it's pretty complicated and amazing. Um, so what, they, what you'll notice is the two circles are equal in size. They are identical in size. Nothing to argue about. You're a circle, I'm a circle. Same, same, high five, circle, boom. So for me, the circle represents orthodox conservative Christianity. I believe that God is eternal. I believe in the virgin birth. I believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. I believe that he came, died for our sins. I believe that uh, he's coming again. I believe the Bible is the word of, that's the circle. But notice how different the triangle and the square are. So when the triangle meets the square, the triangle doesn't see the circle. The triangle's ticked off about the square because it's so different. If you really love Jesus, you wouldn't wear a coat and tie to church. If you really love Jesus, you wouldn't be all formal. If you really love Jesus, you wouldn't worship to a pipe organ. If you really love Jesus, you'd just be like me. If you really love Jesus, you would think like me, talk like you'd just be, you'd stop being a square and you'd start being a triangle. I can't fellowship with you because, and so we get stuck here. So let me ask you, how Jewish did the Ninevites become from this one sermon from Jonah? They were all squares. <laughs> they, they probably even didn't agree that there was one God. They probably just were polytheists. They probably maybe had multiple wives. They probably uh, just, just a lot of bad thinking, stinking thinking, but they, they believed and they started the journey. And we have to remember that when we share with our friends and, and neighbors and loved ones, they don't overnight change their worldview. They don't overnight just become you like you and me. Are you with me? And we have to have that grace 
to say, okay, let's be friends. Let's start this journey. There is no metal detector that people come through in the door and say, yep, you voted this way. You believe this. Yep, 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 yep. And then the person that comes in that thinks wrong, <laughs> come on, we got to frisk you. Something, something's wrong with your thinking. It's just, it's just not the way. And the Jerusalem church understood this. When the gospel went out to the Gentiles, they had a huddle. Say, what do we do about this? These Gentiles are really weird. We call them dogs. And if you don't know what a Gentile is, you are one. <laughs> what happens when a non-Jew becomes a Christian? What happens? Well, the Judaizers that haunted Paul were always running around saying, they're not, they're not triangles, they're not triangles, they're not triangles. And Paul saying, no, they're coming to faith in Jesus Christ. So the Jerusalem council said, Three things. Stop drinking blood. Any of you doing that lately? Stop eating meat offered to idols or sacrificing dials, idols. Anybody? And stop fornicating. Got silent there. <laughs> That's not a good sign. So those three... It, it, so when we come to faith, it's a journey. Repentance is not perfection. Repentance is opening the door because Jesus is knocking. Ask him in. You can do this today. Ask him in. I remember my first time at church and I just thought, wow, I don't know what they do when they're raising their hands. It, you know, I was looking to see if there's strings attached like you know mannequins something what I don't understand what the meaning of is there helium in their fingers why why and then they'll put it down and then they'll be singing and just I I just didn't get it I didn't know it was a symbol of worship and surrender and all of that so we don't change over my dad became a Christian my mom invited me into her bedroom at oh dark 30. And my dad was a CEO. He was a Berkeley grad. He was a man who said to me, where did I go wrong that you would ever become a Christian? And now my mom is inviting me into their bedroom. And I walk in and there's my big dad sitting Indian style sobbing. And my mom says, your dad wants you to lead him in the sinner's prayer. I thought, he's a Ninevite. <laughs> there is no way. And for two years after that night, I didn't believe that he was a true Christian. I thought he was up to something. <laughs> he's coming to church, but he can't become a Christian. And I watched him begin to tithe. I watched him begin to change. I saw him begin to treat my mother with respect. And after two years, I thought, wow, he's, he's changing. So I think you get it. It's just what we want is someone to just open the door to Jesus. That's, that's the repentance of just, I'm sorry, 
I'm shrinking. Come in and be Lord of my life. And then finally, here's the big one. You're going to love this. The best phrase in scripture. It's got this big question. The title of this sermon. Who knows? Look at verse 9. God may relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. Who knows? Don't you love that? I, I can say that so much. Who knows? I don't know. Who knows? Think of all the things you want God to do in your life, in your marriage, in your family, in your business, in your community. All the things we, I want him to do in America. It's so easy to say, can't happen, won't happen. I'm a doubter. I'm a doubting Thomas. But to just add at the end, but who knows? I think that who knows is the spark. I don't know, but who knows? Let's pray. Who knows? Let's go to a Thursday night worship night and, and see what God, who knows? I looked this up. Actually, there's two Hebrew phrases that are used. One is what if, and the other is who knows. <laughs> it's so funny when you look words up and they say, ah, that's what it is in English, and that's what it is in Hebrew. But it's used 112 times in the Old Testament. And I realize it's the story of the Bible. Abraham angel comes to Abraham says I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah and Abraham says but what if there's 50 righteous would you destroy the righteous with the wicked no but what if there's 40 what if there's 30 what if and he whittles them down six what ifs to get down to 10 Middle Eastern bartering <laughs> and God says I won't destroy so what if Abraham didn't do that? And it goes on and on and on. It's Mordecai to Esther. But what if God has put you in this position for such a time as this? It's Jonathan to his armor bearer. God is not hindered by many or by few. It doesn't need an army to destroy the, Philipp the Philistines. What if? And they step into this moment. It's all throughout the, it's Hezekiah and why he lived another 15 years. It's over and over and over again. Because life is the way it is unless God intervenes. Yeah, you probably will be an idiot the rest of your life. But what if? <laughs> yep, probably nothing Good will happen in your life unless, but what if? And you realize it is not only the story of the Bible, it's your story. You said, what if yeah, I gave my life to Christ? But what if I started going to church? But what if I started reading my Bible? What if I started praying? What if in the magic begins to happen, Right? My favorite story is, you're still there, right? Yes. Let me know if I talk too long. 
I just saw the time. I think I talked too long. Um, <laughs> Abraham says to Israel, I don't know if God can forgive this. Worshiping the golden calf, this big orgy, while I'm up receiving the Ten Commandments, I'll go up. And he says, perhaps, perhaps God will forgive. And he goes up and he gets this great revelation. And God says, I am the Lord. The Lord, and he doesn't say, I am the one who's omniscient. I am the one who's everywhere at once. I am the one who's the God of justice. I am the one who's so, he says, I am the Lord, the gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger, abounding with love, maintaining love for thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion, and sin. I am still just, and part of just, justice is judgment. But guess what? This is who I am. All summarized in the New Testament, God is love. And because this king says, what if perhaps we discover once again that God can forgive even Ninevites? Whoa. I'm telling you, there's a chance for you God can forgive you and God can forgive me. So God steps in and God stops this locomotive of judgment that's coming on Nineveh. God is a just God. They've committed evil. Someone has to pay and God has had it with the Ninevites. This locomotive freight train's coming. It's the train of judgment. Who can stop it? And it's not a bad train. Did you know that part of justice, the word that we love to celebrate in America, I don't think that's just. I, I want justice. I want justice. Did you know that part of justice is not just looking out for the little guy, but part of justice is the policeman? What does that have to? That's where justice always was. Justice is also the judge. Justice is also the sentence of the judge. Law and order is a part of justice. Did you know? Don't look at me like, what are you talking about? That can't be. It's all of this. So when God is judging, that's part of justice. Someone paying for the evil we have committed. Our sin is unjust. And justice is us paying for our sin. So who can stop the freight train of God's judgment on us? Who knows? God does. Blow me down. And even better in the New Testament, Jesus goes to the cross to pay for your sin and for my sin. Blow me down. God stops God. God's love and his forgiveness stops judgment. Both are aspects of God. But when we cry out to him, rather than receiving what we deserve, we receive his forgiveness and his mercy. Is that incredible? So you are the prodigal. 
that comes home and says, I don't deserve anything anymore, God, because of what I've done. And God says to you, because you did come home, you receive forgiveness instead. I want you to pray with me. Father, we come to this day and we celebrate what you did at the cross through Jesus. We celebrate this question of who knows what would happen if we opened the door to you and let you come in and change our lives. What would happen if we repent and turn and give you the throne instead of us? And so, Lord, we cry out to you today. We cry out, Lord, for our country. God, you would change the thinking, that you would change the direction, that the values, uh, the things that philosophies that seem so contrary to your word do something God who knows if the third great awakening were to happen in our lifetime we cry out to you God to do something in Israel we cry out to you with our own lives Lord, some of us can remember a moment in time where we actually did repent. We actually surrendered our life to you. God, we ask that you would do that again in our lives. Today, now, for such a time as this. This morning while we're praying and while our heads are bowed, I want to give you an invitation to get off your throne. To be the person who says, who knows? To surrender afresh. It doesn't matter to me whether you've never done it or you, you did it a long time ago. This is between you and God to say, no, this is a moment in my life where I need to freshly surrender to him. If that's you this morning, just raise your hand wherever you are. While the rest are praying and eyes are closed, I just want you in this moment to raise your hand. Let me, I see you way in the back and I see you right here. And if you look up at me, you'll see me pointing to you. And I'm, yes, thank you. You and you and you and you back here. Thank you. And you over here. Thank you. Yes, I see you right back here and way in the back. Thank you. And over here, thank you, ma'am. And over here, thank you, ma'am. And over here, sir, thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Yes, thank you. One over here, thank you. Yes, thank you. You can put your hand down. Did I miss you? Over here, thank you. Over here, thank you. I think your hand is up way in the back also. Thank you. If you raise your hand this morning, I want you to pray this prayer quietly in your heart as I pray it out loud. And let's, in our own hearts, all of us be praying this prayer together. Dear Lord, freshly come into my life. God, my prayer today is who knows what could happen if I just fully surrender to you. So today, Lord, I hear you knocking 
and I open the door. Come in. Be my savior, be my friend. Fellowship with me and I with you. Change my life. Put your fingerprints on my life. Forgive me of my sin. Stop the freight train of judgment. Forgive me. As I'm here at the cross again. And now fill me with your spirit and make me new. For from this day forward, Lord, I surrender. In Jesus' name, and everybody said, amen. You know, I, uh, I forgot to show a film, and uh, that's what happens when Mr. Magoo is preaching. But if you come tonight, you'll see it. It's a snippet from our film that we did on Iraq, where we're standing on a cliff overlooking Mosul, which is modern, the modern-day Nineveh, ancient Nineveh. And we're seeing the smoke of all the destruction from all the allies destroying ISIS because ISIS took over the city and uh, drove the Christians out and all the other people out of, out of this ancient city. And um, it would have been what, what Jonah saw, it would only without the destruction, God stopped what almost happened out of mercy so now as you go I want to tag you and say you know what I want you to love the most weirdest person that you have in your life that Ninevite that you just say oh boy I hope they're not in heaven <laughs> you know whoever that person is and I I want to deputize you to go be the loving person that brings the word of God to them if you raise your hand today I want you to come up and get some prayer just we're just going to pray for you fresh anointing on your life get you started in your walk and uh, tag your it so let's stand and I'm just going to pray a blessing on you father we need your power and your love as we go forth as Christians Thank you for the great work that you're doing in our lives and let it not stop. Let it spread across this nation in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. God bless you guys.